Anthony Lynn definitely drove me crazy betting on the Chargers a lot of weeks. I'm happy to be on the other side of it this year and be rooting against the Lions and, and Anthony Lynn's play calling. Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm Matt Landis and this week's episode is part one of two from my in-depth conversation with professional better, The Hitman. We start off by diving into his background, including how betting's in his blood and how he beat the odds to become a winning long-term better. We then discuss his betting process, kicking it off with props, appropriately given the name of this show, and it's a great conversation because the hitman's a player personnel expert, so he walks us through how certain props give us some of the biggest edges we can find as betters. We also discuss the NFL on a bit more of a macro level, although somehow we touch on every team in the NFC North, including two teams the hitman is bearish on, and who he thinks you can still find value in fading. One housekeeping note, if you're craving NBA action as the playoffs progress, DraftKings Sportsbook is Dimers.com's official NBA odds partner for the playoffs, and to celebrate, they're giving new customers who join DraftKings via Dimers.com $200 in free bets if their first $5 NBA playoff money line bet wins. Simply head to Dimers.com, you can find a link in the show notes, find the offer on the homepage, and click through to get a free $200 if and when your first $5 NBA playoff money line bet cashes. And now, enjoy part one of my conversation with professional better, The Hitman. Okay, I'm here with The Hitman. Welcome to Props and Hops. Thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation. I've also heard you referred to over the years as the translucent one. So for the purposes of this conversation, that makes two of us. Honestly, I don't even know what the hell, I didn't know what the hell translucent even means before somebody called me that. So I looked it up online and I, I'm not the, I'm not the, the brightest bulb in the room. So I don't even, I still don't kind of don't even know what it means, but I'll roll with it. <laughs> I guess as a listener, I, I took it as uh, somebody who like myself might just be really pale. I, I'm either, you know, kind of burnt to a crisp or about as white as can be. So with summertime, we'll see if I can make any progress along those lines. But uh, if not, you know, we've got the world just in general kind of roaring back and the sports world kind of following suit. So it's a great time to dive into a bunch of these topics with you. And, and yeah, once again, thanks for taking time to join. No problem. Looking forward to it. So I think that a common question I start off with a lot of guests is diving into the background. And I know that not too long ago, uh, back in December 2020, you did a really good interview on the Sharp Squares podcast. And I'd encourage anybody who wants to know more about your background to probably give that a listen. There will be some overlap in the topics, I'm sure, but I'll look to advance more than repeat that conversation. And for the unacquainted, I was wondering if you could just right off the top give a minute or so on your background, how you got into betting, and, and how your journey has taken you to where you are today. Well, I, I started betting about seven years ago, and I started to really take it serious enough to where I was able to leave my prior job about four years ago. But when, when I started seven years ago, 
I, I knew a ton about sports, but just because you know about sports doesn't mean you know how to bet. Like you can know every player on a roster, the NFL, which I knew at the time, but I didn't know how to look at markets and have different outs and all the little intricacies that you need to have to be successful at this. But I, I got my first account from my girlfriend's uncle and he was a, uh, he's not the book. He was just, he knew somebody or whatever. And I think he was taking a little commission off my losses because he said, he said, nobody wins. So if you want an account, I'll get you an account. Nobody wins in the 20 years I've done this. So you're just going to be giving your money. So I kind of took it as a challenge. And I was a real small time better, betting like $60, $90 a game, something like that. The, the first year, put a lot of research into it. I won something like $1,300. I'm like, oh, wow, well, this is good. He was like, oh, well, you'll never do it the next year. The, the next year, I ended up winning a, a little over five figures after I upped my unit size and all that. And I actually got thrown off by my first account, which is the first account I've been thrown off of out of now it seems like a handful every single week I'm, I'm dealing with. So th that's how I kind of got started. And when that started to happen, I started to make money. It, it just kept fueling me to work harder, learn more about the business. Eventually, I got to the point where I was making as much at this as I was at my nine to five. And then it kind of got to the point where I was making more. And it got to the point where I said, you know what, I could take a chance right now. And go for this. And if it doesn't work out, I have a college degree to fall back on. But it, it would be tough to live with myself if I didn't take the risk and try to do something like this, which very few people don't get to do in their lifetime. So I took a chance and it's working out so far. That doesn't mean it's going to work out in the future because edges can dry up. And that's happened to plenty of people that have done this and they've been successful for a certain amount of time and they can't sustain it. But at the moment it's going, it's going really well. Yeah. I love the story of just beating the odds, knowing that so many people give this a shot and struggle to ever turn a profit. But it sounds like it's been kind of hitting the ground running from day one in your case. And I think a lot of that can probably tie in with your betting process. So I'd love to dig into that. I think props might be a perfect starting point between your betting style and, and for the name of this podcast, so I would be curious as to how you came to focus on player personnel as opposed to other areas and how you think maybe that gives you an edge when it comes to beating the odds and being a winning better. Well, props are a less efficient market than NFL sides and totals, as everybody knows, because obviously during an NFL week, there's at most usually 32 sides and totals, but for props, there's hundreds of props that you can bet on. So, what I try to do is I would look to focus on the inefficient markets and obviously I can't get as much down on that. But when you have enough accounts, you could get a pretty sizable chunk down on props. Now at one specific shop, it might only be a hundred, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, but multiply that by dozens of accounts that you can accumulate and you could really get a good amount. So you know what? I've heard the expression that um, to go for the lower hanging fruit. And that's fine. That's fine because not everyone's looking to bet 20, 30 grand a game, which is what you would, fo where you would focus on sides and totals. If you could focus on props, get a thousand, two thousand, three thousand down, then the edge on that is significantly bigger. So 
I was always in the fantasy. I was always really familiar with player personnel, as I said earlier, before I even got involved in betting. I was very familiar with fantasy, player personnel, and that kind of just all correlates into the prop market. So I kind of found my niche, my niche with, uh, with that. And I have one with sides and totals over the years I've done this. I put a lot of work into it and I have one, but definitely the higher hit rate and the, the area that I like to focus on the most is the prop market. Yeah. And knowing that your background in fantasy and we can touch on that in a bit. I'd love to dive into that as a kind of different angle from most of the conversations I've had with professional betters recently. But when it comes to applying your player knowledge to props, I, I think a lot of people have realized you touched on it earlier. A lot of people can know sports really well, but not necessarily translate that into being good sports betters. So is there a handicapping process that you layer on to your player knowledge to make sure that that's translating to getting some plus EV with a lot of player prop bets? Well, I'm trying to make my own projections on what I think the line should be. A lot of people that are playing fantasy, they'll look at the matchups and they'll say, oh, well, this receiver has a great matchup. It's a high total game. He's he's went off the past few games, but they don't realize that a lot of this stuff that they're looking into is already accounted for in the market. So I'm trying to look at the the things that I think are not accounted for in the market. Like an example would be if a receiver the previous week got a lot of targets and he got a lot of air yards, but for whatever reason he didn't have a great stat line, well, then you can kind of see that, you know what, there's some bias uh, towards the under because he didn't have a good game last week, but the usage was there, and it was more of a fluke that he didn't have a big game. So you can kind of project that he'll have a, a better game the next week. And then another thing to do um, that a lot of other people don't do is just see the market because with the props, it's there's so many different sets of lines. There's no Don Best screen for the prop market. So if you have enough accounts – you're going to get lines that are a lot different. You could blindly just log in and see that one place has a receiver at 62 receiving yards and another place has 70. And instead of middling that, I, I don't love to middle props unless I get a lot of money down. But more of my focus is just finding the right side because if 162 and 170, then one of those two bets in all likelihood, has to be plus EV. So I try to look into it and see which one is going to be plus EV. So th- that process is kind of what would differentiate myself from just a normal guy that knows fantasy, knows personnel, but he really doesn't know how to bet on it to take advantage of it. Yeah, and when it comes to putting that process into play to get a sizable edge, there is also at a certain point, I mean, you've kind of touched on this, the notion of hammering value where you can find it versus maybe slow playing some of your books so you can keep access to those accounts and make it a more sustainable betting opportunity. So I look at it as if on one hand, all edges dry up over time. And if you don't get down on something while it's good, then somebody else probably will. But on the other hand, if you overplay your hands, you're probably going to get limited or kicked out in a hurry. So where do you draw that optimal balance to maximize your earnings as well as keeping that access to good accounts? Oh yeah, so so much of what you do is you need to learn how to bet, how to manage your accounts. It is so important and honestly it only comes with experience of dealing with bookmakers, kind of seeing 
what they will tolerate, what they won't tolerate. And like, I'll give an example. I'd rather make $500 a week for 20 weeks than make $5,000 in one week and get limited right away and get, or get thrown off the account right away. So a lot of what I learned is, and especially early in my days, I would go for kills. I would get an account and I would bet 25 props a week on a certain account. And obviously they see 25 prop bets and four sides. You're there. Anyone smart is going to look at that account. And if you're winning and they're going to be quick to limit you or throw you off. So what I learned is just don't get greedy. I try to only play a certain amount of props into an account. If I'm winning a lot on that account, I kind of know, all right, now's the time to cool off. I don't want to go over a certain amount with this guy. Stay under the radar because a lot of these guys, if you're winning 300, 400 a week, it'll kind of go quiet because they have bigger clients. But if you're in that 4,000, 5,000, et cetera range, and they're going to notice you quicker, they're going to look at your account, see the action you're betting on. So knowing how to bet and how to manage, manage these accounts is as important as anything. Yeah, one market where you might have a little more leeway there, getting away from props, but looking at sides and totals, as you mentioned, would be the NFL. Just such a liquid market, oftentimes, especially in the playoffs or the Super Bowl, you'll hear stories of somebody just getting down about as much money as they want on a side, uh, especially sides versus totals. But when it comes to the NFL in general, how would you describe your approach? I would imagine there's some crossover with props across sports, just trying to find value and shop lines. But when you have a more liquid market like the NFL, how does that change the equation for you as a better? Yeah, for me personally, I'm looking to attack a lot of the early lines. And that's what I would uh, recommend for almost anybody that's really trying to get in, get into it and work at it. Because obviously later in the week, like you said, you could get 50 grand, 100 grand down at one specific shop. And, or that's later in the week and earlier in the week, it's a lot less, but I know for me personally, I'm looking to get on sides in that 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 range where if a shop is limiting me on a Monday to 500, 1,000, then that's fine. I have enough outs if the number is widely available to get down the money I'm looking for. And it's just a better way to approach it for me because as the days goes on, the more information comes out. And the more efficient the market gets and some of the real whales of the industry that are betting that huge money, they're going to iron out the line by the time kickoff comes on Sunday. So I believe I, that I do have an edge, but a lot of my edge is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Once it gets to Sunday, I'd be hard pressed to find many people in the entire industry that are winning betting those Sunday lines unless you're taking advantage of a huge public overreaction and a line goes your way on game day. But those are, are few and far between, at least in my experience. So I'd say that probably out of every 10 games that I bet, sides and totals, probably nine of them are before Saturday. Yeah, and speaking of getting down early with some NFL bets, I'd like to touch on the Vikings, looking at some futures. On June 9th, you posted on Twitter, uh, I'll make sure to quote this right, my future kids' college tuition is dependent on Minnesota look-aheads this year. And when I read that, 
couldn't help but crack up. And I thought of uh, the honor of a lifetime working with David Molinsky for a little while. And once I was talking to him about a bet that I really liked, and I, I think I used the term unload without really realizing it. And he kind of stopped me and just clarified that he would very rarely think of betting anything as unloading, barring a preposterous edge. And at the same time, it seems like you've seen a lot of value on Vikings look aheads. And I'm not sure if you have fully unloaded, but you're, you're definitely invested by the sound of that tweet. So I guess two questions to go off of that. One on a general level, what's your process like for determining how much you're willing to invest in a single bet or say a single team like the Vikings when it comes to season long look aheads? Well, I obviously was exaggerating a little bit with my, uh, future. If, if I, if I played about maybe 15 plays correlated to the Vikings and look ahead season wins, uh, week one, all, all that stuff. And if I do go 0 and 15, uh, I will survive. I will still have a bankroll, but uh, I did put a, a lot of money on Vikings futures, but again, it was getting it early in the process. Um, one of the first places that opened lines, and the season wins was a shop in New Jersey and they actually opened the Vikings at eight, eight minus 120. So I was able to get a significant amount down. I was really hustled to get as much as I possibly could down on that. I bet that I bet some over eight and a half. And now the market's kind of shifted to where a lot of places are nine minus 120 towards the over where I really, it would just be a lean at that point. But what I saw early with the Vikings is, look, they, they've been a very successful franchise with Mike Zimmer as the head coach. I mean, they're 57, 38, and 1 straight up, and they have the best against the spread record since Zimmer became the coach. So the market has undervalued them for years for whatever reason. And last year, they really had one of the best offenses that they had in the, in the Zimmer era. I mean, they have an elite trio of weapons. They might have the best trio of weapons in the entire NFL with Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, and they were fourth in yards per play last year. I think this is going to be probably the best offensive line that the Vikings have had during the Zimmer era. And last year we know that the defense was the problem, but Zimmer, it was the first year since he's been there, that they had a below-average defense. Their defense has been good every single year, and I don't think that suddenly that he forgot how to coach defense. What I do think was the issue was the injuries that they had. They had no Michael Pierce. They had no Daniil Hunter, who's one of the best defensive ends in the league. They had no Eric Kendricks for most of the year, no Anthony Barr. Their cornerback depth chart was an absolute disaster. Now they've went from the most inexperienced corners to one of the more experienced groups in the NFL. They get all those guys back that I mentioned. They signed Sheldon Richardson. They've signed um, Dalvin Tomlinson. So on paper, this is an above-average defense to me, and I'm kind of taking advantage of the recency bias on how bad their defense was. Oh, they signed Patrick Peterson as well. I'm taking advantage of the recency bias from how bad their defense was last year. And I think that their offense took a real step step forward. So I, I made my Vikings win total nine and a half. So when the opener came out at eight, I was all over it. Uh, the week one line, it opened minus two and a half against Cincinnati. I thought that had value. It's been bet up to three and a half now. Look ahead lines. Um, I, I played a bunch of them because I just believe that the market 
has undervalued them due to the the poor year that they had last year. And if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay if I'm wrong, but uh, I'll pay to see it. Yeah, well, you gave a really thorough answer there. My second question was going to be what has you higher on the market, excuse me, higher on Minnesota than the market. And it sounds like, you know, a strong offense, maybe taking another step forward from an already good performance last season and a lot of positive regression from the defense. And I think it stands to reason that if you're high on Minnesota, another bet that you've gone public with was staying in the NFC North under on Chicago. That bet was under seven and a half wins on a best bet on a recent dream preview. And I would think part of that has to do with how you view the Bears. Part of it might be related to saying, okay, they're going to play the Vikings a couple of times. If you really like Minnesota, then it makes sense to be bearish on the Bears. And at the same time, I'm wondering when it comes to the Packers, the Aaron Rodgers wild card and all this, how does that factor the, into the equation as well? So, the Bears season win total right now is seven and a half. I bet under at the opener before Justin Fields was drafted. I still do like it. I would have liked it a little more if Fields wasn't drafted just because Fields at least gives the Bears potential this season to have a decent quarterback. Whereas when they had Andy Dalton, there's pretty much no ceiling there. You know what you're going to get with him. But even with Justin Fields at the, as the quarterback, I still like under. Um, I crunch all my numbers. I Basically, the power rating, I crunch in, and I come up with a, a win probability for each game, figure out what the season win total should be. I'm at 6.4 with Chicago. They're favored in only four games. They have a super tough schedule, specifically on the road this year. They're going to be six-point underdogs, I believe, in every single one of their road games, aside from Detroit this year. Um, the, the last two years, they have the 23rd and the 29th scoring offense. And obviously they were carried to respectability by their defense, but I've, I see a lot of regression coming in their defense, specifically in their secondary. I don't think it's as, I don't think their secondary is as good this year. I think that they'll still be an above average defense, but I'm still projecting them right now to be a bottom tier offense and it really just comes down to the fact that they really don't have many weapons next to Allen Robinson. Their offensive line is still porous and they still have one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL, assuming that Justin Fields just doesn't have a monster rookie year, which of course is a possibility, but he doesn't have the best supporting cast around him and a bunch of teams passed on him for a reason. I mean, he was the fourth quarterback taken for a reason. I know a lot of people are high on him, but as I said, he was the fourth quarterback for a reason, and he's not really going into the best offensive uh, supporting cast. So, yeah, under seven and a half is a bet for me. If Rodgers does leave Green Bay, their uh, probably their win total will go. Their projected win total on my numbers will go up, but it's still probably it still would stay under seven and a half for me, even if that did happen. And is that something that you think the books would be quick enough to adjust? I know something like Aaron Rodgers, if he does go to, say, Denver. I mean, Denver's Super Bowl odds, AFC West odds, and so forth have already been brought down quite a bit since the rumors began swirling. But I imagine that that would even ratchet up another level. The Packers, you know, week one line where it's even available right now, or a lot of their futures would obviously be affected. But do you think the books are smart enough to quickly adjust a team like the Bears if Aaron Rodgers were to leave? Or is there a case where, given major news like that, yeah, his new team and his former team might have pretty quick 
smart updates in the marketplace. But if you're looking at a division opponent like the Bears, there might still be another angle for a little while. Well, I, I think that some shops, probably like your your bookmakers, your pinnacles, all of them, they'll be smart enough to make a adjustment. It, it's not going to be a huge adjustment. It's probably going to be off the top of my head, maybe a 30, 40 cent adjustment if Rogers does leave. So it's kind of one of those plays that, you know, if you already have a, a position on where you kind of strongly lean Chicago over seven and a half minus 110, that if the Rogers news did happen, then you should probably play that because it's going to probably move 30 cents in your direction. But again, you could just wait for that to happen because some of the sharper shops, they're going to move, but a lot of the shops, they're just going to pull the Packers lines. They're going to pull the, the Broncos or whoever requires Rodgers. They're going to pull that team's lines, and it's going to take them probably at least 20, 30 minutes to a few hours to adjust some of the teams in the in the division. So if it was me, uh, I, I just wait on that, and once you get the news, you, you start shopping, and you, you'll find some shops that will be a little later to move on that. Yeah, I like that point about viewing it is maybe just a little bit of a nudge versus anything too much stronger than that. It reminds me of speaking with Andy Molitor recently after the NFL schedule was released. And, you know, there's a lot of talk. Oh, this team has the best schedule. This team has the worst. This team travels X amount of miles. A lot of factors like that. But when it comes down to it, these are, these are subtle things that might be enough to push you over the fence or, or keep you you know, off of a bet, but using, you know, something like Rogers potentially leaving the Packers as a basis for a big bet on the Bears, um, you know, it's more about the accumulation of a lot of factors versus putting too much stock into any one factor with most of these types of bets. Yeah, you know what, it's just before it happens, you need to have a value in your mind of, hey, if, if Rogers did leave, how's it going to affect this win total? If it was something that I knew was going to affect a win total by a whole win or something, a half win even, then yes, I'm just blindly playing it because I know the market's going to move in my favor. And if I want, I could just buy back. But it, it, in my opinion, it's not going to be enough of a move to, to warrant any, uh, quick move, quick, uh, judgment on their, any of the season win totals in the division. Sure. Well, I know we've talked a lot of NFC North to this point, and I'd be curious as to whether you might have possibly one or two more bets that could be worth making now, whether it's something looking at week one or futures, anything with value. And I I always try to preface, picks are great, but I don't want to force you to divulge anything. This is just uh, another way to really dig in on the process behind a lot of these picks so that listeners can hopefully learn a little bit more about how to approach betting like a professional. I'll give you one, and uh, it's funny. I'm going to stay in the NFC North, and I'm going to go to the Lions uh, under five wins. I bet that at the opener at plus 105. Still a lot of minus 110 out there, and I, I like that still. Uh, last year, their point differential, and that was with Matt Stafford for half the season, their point differential was minus 142. So I think that this is obviously a, a really bad team, and I know that the market's trying to tell you that by having it at five wins. But I make their season win total 4.2. Uh, in recent years, I've had a ton of success going under on a lot of bottom dwellers, kind of one of those old things that a, a lot of guys will say, uh, well, 
got a lot of fake sharps in my opinion will say, well, you look to bet the unders on the top, on the best teams and you look to bet the overs on the worst teams because they, they have to be overvalued or undervalued, just have to be. And I haven't found that in the past few years. And I think for four years straight, I bet very early in the process the projected worst teams. It was Buffalo one year. It was the Jets another year. Two years ago, it was Miami. And last year, it was Jacksonville. And I, I went 4-0 and on those, and my numbers would just come out to lower than what the market would have because a lot of times my numbers would come out to like three and a half wins or something, and the market just would refuse to go that low. I think that the lowest season win that I've seen before the, the Texans this year was the jet was uh I believe it was the Jets or it might have been the Dolphins, don't quote me on it. I think it was the Jets and they closed around four wins a few years ago. But I remember it opened at five and a half and I made it like three point seven or something as so I was betting under. And I kind of see that with the Lions this year. I think that they're they're the clear second worst team in the NFL. And uh yeah, I mean their offense is taking a huge step back. I think Matthew Stafford was greatly underappreciated for what he did with such a dysfunctional organization. I didn't like their coaching hires. They have the worst receiving corps in the NFL, and their defense is, once again, going to be one of the bottom three defenses in the NFL. So I'm very anti-Lions this year. Yeah, and when it comes to – I know you mentioned a really low total a few years ago, being around four, with the Lions being at five. With the 17th game this year, five sounds like a really low number. And and I guess just in general, season win totals, adding one wrinkle to the length of the season could throw a lot of people off when maybe trying to do some quick back-of-the-napkin math. So how do you view Detroit under five with a 17-game season relative to where you might be if it were still a 16-game season? Does the added game maybe change what you think some of the books posted? And is that where you see value? Or do you think they're handling the extra game right and you just have to take the extra step to to factor in that additional game tacked on this year? Yeah, no, it really didn't play much of a factor for me. Uh, I ju- All I just had to do is I have a sheet with where I used to have 16 games and I would plug in a, a win probability that I had for every single game of the season and it would spit out a number for me. And if, if I trust my power ratings, which I, I do, I do, then I would feel confident in my season win total number being better than the Bucks. And all I had to do was just add the 17th game. The Lions' 17th game this year is at Denver. I think I have them projected to be an eight-point underdog or so in that game. And I would just have to. I just had to plug in that game, add the win probability, and it, it spits out a new number. So the 17th game really didn't change much for me. Yeah, well, as a Chargers fan, I can say that with Anthony Lynn calling the plays, I am not eager to go head-to-head with you on this bet. Five is awfully low, but I think beyond a lot of what you said, having Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell patrolling the sidelines, that could be a really interesting dynamic to watch this year in Detroit. Yeah, you know, I don't stress out much about games. I, I, re- I really don't. But watching Anthony Lynn and betting on the Chargers the past few years – that would, I would just be cursing at myself, cursing at the TV, just saying, how the hell could you put money on this team again? That, he, Anthony Lynn definitely drove me crazy betting on the Chargers a lot of weeks. So, uh, I'm, I'm happy to 
be on the other side of it this year and be rooting against the Lions and, and Anthony Lynn's play calling. Goodbye. All right, well, as a Chargers fan, the opportunity to root against Anthony Lynn's play calling is music to my ears, so we'll leave it there for now and pick up with part two next week. Thanks to the hitman for his time. If you enjoyed part one of our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd be interested in some real-time betting conversation with me and the Dimers.com community, join us for free on Discord. I've dropped a link in the show notes. Alright, that'll do it for this week's episode of Props and Hops. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week with part two of my conversation with the Hitman. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Well,